Hello, and welcome to the Teaching in Medicine podcast, where we explore effective teaching of the healthcare providers of tomorrow. I am your host, Dr. Kathleen Timmy. We are back with Dr. Bruce Herman, Pediatric Residency Program Director and Vice Chair of Education. Today, we will continue our discussion on leadership roles in medical education. And thanks again to my talented co-host, Dr. Kim Stowers. Check out part one of our conversation if you haven't already. Speaking of improvements in the program or advancements in the program, can you speak about the new hospital going up in Lehigh and if there's going to be impacts on the residents there? or Do you plan on having residents there and what would that look like? It's a great question that I'm not quite sure we know all the answers yet. Um, our chair, Dr. Giardino, I know I'm not telling you guys something you don't already know, but it has been exceedingly supportive of education. And he is has a PhD in education, but um, uh, has sort of said, I want it to be, uh, you know, for the resident benefit, um, value added. And as a way we have tried to say, and that said, he wants it to be, it's a children's hospital. So he wants to make it like a children's hospital and um, a strength of our program is the resident involvement here. And so we will likely have residents there, but we want to really make it good for their education. And again, for the, the, the patients receive excellent care. And I would argue and I hope you guys would support that having residents involved in patient care actually does improve uh, the care of the patient. And we have primary has become a very tertiary or quaternary hospital. We do I pass handoff, standardized handoff tool, which has been shown to decrease medical errors because of this standardized handoff. Um, but I was auditing that last night and just the patients that were being discussed were like, oh my gosh, these are highly complex patients. And some of them during the handoff, they said, well, we have to call Dr. Timmy with today's glucose <laughs> to make sure that we adjust their insulin uh, for tomorrow. Uh, uh, but um, so our residents have an opportunity to work in a hospital that has tertiary quaternary patients. Our hope, and this is also, we will see what kind of patients end up down there. We would like to, them to see more of a general PZ in patient exposure. Um, and we will see what the Lehigh Hospital brings or what kind of patients are there. A strength of rotating down there would be that they can take care of more general PEDs. The other thing is that at our hospital, there are multiple subspecialists and consultants around the hallway. Uh, and down there, there will be surgeons and there will be a PICU, but there'll be less of a subspecialty presence on the wards. And hopefully our residents will get more autonomy and be able to handle more subspecialty patients down there uh, with the gen peds bent. Um, and then we think that it'll be more like a senior rotation and they won't have interns. And so as a second or third year, they will get to do essentially pretending shifts down there with the hospitalist and uh, really get to run a team. So I think that would be a value added. And we think it'll be a value added. It'll just depend on 
as we evolve and what it looks like the staffing model down there. We would have to expand the program uh, a little bit because uh, you know it's a taking people out of the rotation here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't want to add more wards because we have plenty of wards in our program now, uh, and so we would want to make sure that that uh, we have the numbers to support that. Sounds like a really intriguing role, especially for someone who comes into residency and they know what they want to be a general pediatrician, possibly in a rural area or an area that they know that they'll dip their toes in hospital medicine plus uh, outpatient medicine as well. So I think this would be actually a valuable role and pretty intriguing for individuals who are thinking about doing their residency here that they could have that more more or less a community hospital feel and have that training under their belt before they go out into the community themselves and are then and attending and not relying on all these subspecialists at their fingertips. Yeah, I think this program, not to sell our program, but uh, to sell our program. Um, yes, you should. <laughs> because, uh, because of the unique geographic referral that we get, we get patients from rural Montana, Idaho, uh, Nevada, Wyoming, um, and Utah. And we are now one of the goals of our program over the next few years to really develop those rural, rural opportunities and to develop the collaborations in those sites. Uh, and maybe even have a rural track within our program where residents may, you know, do up to half of their time in a rural site. Uh, and that's been fun to try to develop that and that certainly to provide residents who want to explore it or at least to get exposed to those rural opportunities that we now have, they exist now. And that's been fun. Speaking of residency recruitment, I was curious since I was gone during um the time that you're recruiting for COVID or during COVID, what was recruitment like and how did you adjust your recruitment strategies at that time? Well, it was a big change and it was very, very, very scary to us because as you know, when you come into the Salt Lake airport or you walk through the halls of our hospital or you cross over from primary to Eccles, you, it's, it's stunning uh, how pretty this place is physically. And we were worried we wouldn't be able to showcase that or people wouldn't be attracted to this program without that. Uh, and it was very gratifying this year to find out that we could recruit successfully on the strength of that, which is that we could show virtually uh, the many opportunities that we have, the variety of patients that we have. And one thing that was really cool this year, virtually, um, that would is harder in person is that, as you guys all know, you've been on many zoom meetings, (laughs) but the Brady bunch screen in (laughs) our case, I think was really positive this year in that we do know each other and the, the applicants would see us sort of chat to each other within the Brady Bunch screen, because when they did physical interviews, they would come up to Kathleen's office or uh, uh, to Kim's office or, um, and I wouldn't get to see you guys. Uh, And it was fun to kibitz uh, with 
people on the calls and uh that was easier on zoom than it is in person so that was one of the the unexpected benefits of virtual great yeah i can only imagine i remember coming here and being so amazed by salt lake valley and the surrounding wasatch mountains so i think that would be really hard to not be able to see that especially if you've never been to utah but i agree the collegiality is very evident as soon as you step onto a zoom call or if you're in a room with people everyone knows each other and we're here to support one another yeah i think that was uh that was a blast uh and kang <laughs> you can uh, call me kang it's okay <laughs> uh, kang was out for part of it uh uh and but just I mean, you participated in a few of those, and I know you did because it was. I think there were some of the first few times I saw you were in this. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> and it this place is, as you guys have felt, uh, and uh, really does have that feel that I think is unique, and it's the strength of our program that existed, you know, many, 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 many years ago when I met Dr. Shunk uh, to to now. And it has to feel good, that natural beauty aside and all the awesome things about living in Utah, the program is strong enough and rigorous enough and um, unique and forward thinking that even without seeing our physical environment and setting that people are attracted to come here. Yeah, it's been it was surprisingly good, but that many of, I won't say many, but there are probably a third to half of our residents the first time they ever physically had been to Utah was when they came mm. and arrived in June, which is <laughs> to live here for three years. Wild. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's wow. been fun. So you mentioned this role earlier about being vice chair of education within the department of pediatrics. Can you talk about what some of your responsibilities are in that role? Um, part of it is faculty development and to make sure that uh, we as a department develop good teachers and dang that's why and both of you guys sort of fun that i get to talk about this because that was <laughs> kim's sort of her project in her chief year was to develop the curriculum uh, so um part of my role is as vice chair is to, to write really help our educators become good teachers and you two are uniquely qualified to do that and just how our program works Kathleen was just arriving and wanted to be an educator and Kim as chief resident wanted to develop a curriculum to make our residents as teachers. And you guys have taken that and run with it. And we have had the resident as teacher is affectionately known as rat. Uh, then Kim worked to the students and you helped her with that. Thing. And that student as teacher sat and then we had to come up with a different name for faculty as teacher because <laughs> fat didn't uh fellow as teacher fellow as resident teacher also does not <laughs> make a good acronym <laughs> and kathleen had done fellow as educator yeah as fame her, fellow as fame. medical educator so. <laughs> during her residency and so um part of the role of vice chair of education is to help our faculty become better educators and you guys have done that at plus uh but it's an evolution and as you guys know, it's taking time. And then to you know, make sure that our fellows are being educated well and our fellowship directors are developing as educators. And that's been fun to 
mentor may be too strong a word, but to try to help our fellowship directors and fellowships uh, succeed. And one of the things that we have done over the last few to several years is really centralize our fellowship organization. Uh, and now it's run out of the education enterprise office, uh, which has really helped us expand fellowships. And because we have a nice system, the endo fellowship didn't exist four or five years ago. And, and by putting it in the office, we've been able to expand to and add a renal fellowship, a pediatric hospital medicine fellowship. We hope to add a rheumatology fellowship in the next year. And that's been fun and, and is part of the role of vice chair that's been also gratifying. It's such a well-oiled machine. I think within the education enterprise, you, know, you oversee kind of the fellowships and the residency program at a very macro level, but there's just an incredible staff of administrators in your office who make everything run smoothly. And I think even, you know, I run a small piece fellow school, um, but the support in place to allow that to happen, um, everyone in the office who helps with logistics, it's just really efficient system. It's been fun and we, we will continue to grow. And as we expand fellowships like this year with our consideration of adding rheumatology as a fellowship, it's like, Oh, we can do this. We know how to apply. We know how to uh, recruit. We know how to, you know, this place uh, does the recruiting on its own, but it's, it's been the education enterprise has truly become an enterprise uh, and hopefully successful one. <laughs> So it's obvious you have quite the demanding schedule, Dr. Herman. With that being said, how do you fit personal wellness into your life and any um, suggestions that you have for our listeners? Make time and I won't say protect it, but protect it uh, as best you can. Um, we all would love hours during the day to, to block off. Um, Kim, as chief, had to sort of knew that my noon hour and I try to protect my some point during my day to go swim. And I used to always do it at lunch and, and just to try to hold on to that and be there, be it block it out as an appointment. And on my schedule, it's from noon to one fifteen is unavailable. Uh, and to try to not schedule meetings during that time and to protect it. And I think that we all find and get our wellness or get our regrounding other ways, yoga or faith. And just for people to really hang on and have that time each day to connect with or to that relationships, but to really zealously uh, hold on and not let, say, don't let the world or work intrude, but just to try to protect ourselves. And these Olympics have been fascinating <laughs> uh, to see that mm -hmm. and to see how hard it is to fit. Like, okay, during residency, you work harder. As faculty, we all work hard because we want to achieve a goal within a professional life. Like the, the Olympians want to get a goal. I know we're not reaching for the goal, but there are pressures mm -hmm. uh, in each of our lives. Mm -hmm. And to see the consequences uh in Simone Biles case or mm -hmm. just to see for me when Caleb Dressel won his I don't know 
if you guys have watched oh, yeah. the Olympics closely, <laughs> but when Caleb Dressel, a swimmer, won his gold medal in the 100 free, which is was his first individual gold medal, at, when they were interviewing him afterwards, he broke down and cried and just said, this has been so hard. The pressure uh, on these athletes and to see that, wow, these people we think have it all and have struggled with wellness. And I think that we as a program and we as a faculty have to be aware and support and help people grow. And like Michael Phipps said, it's got to be okay to not be okay. And so we've really tried in our semi-annual reviews with the residents, wellness is a, like, how are you doing and how can we support you? And when we, when I meet with the new interns, I point out what view I have out of my office downstairs. I get to see a little bit the you up on the side of the mountain, but I say, hey, just because you get to live here, we don't want to assume that all is going to be right because we all have access. It is awesome to be able to go on the trails out back, but just to say, you know, life happens and we need to protect each other. And that has changed. I don't want to say we've never cared about wellness, but I mean, I think it's been an evolution and we've really tried to protect each other and um, really help the residents with that. It's cool to see actual offices of wellness and formalized yeah. support and psychological support for residents oh. in need and like actually, you know, putting putting the money where the mouth is from the from higher ups. Our GME has been incredible. And that's what I won't say I take credit for, it, but uh, Brad Post, who was the DIO, who's head of all GME, um, who came from PEDS, we developed a subgroup to about wellness and we ultimately hired a director um rob davies mm -hmm. um who has now built an incredible enterprise as it were to really support and uh help resident wellness across all the specialties and one of the things that we do now in our residency is require uh all the interns to have two appointments with the wellness office just to a hopefully let them know that we value that and also and b you know an internship is hard uh, it's their first time really as becoming doctors and there's a lot of imposter syndrome and uh to protect them with that or if they're in relationships the relationships have to change during that intern year because they don't get to spend mm -hmm. as much time at home as they would like. So that's our wellness office is a huge asset. Yeah. Rob Davies runs such a, such an efficient um, office there and has so many offerings and he is definitely on my list to have on the podcast at some point. Great. So you've obviously had a really successful career in medical education leadership. What would you say to trainees who are interested in a career in med ed? What tips do you have? How can they get their foot in the door? Get involved. And, you know, a lot of applicants say, I want to do academic medicine because I like to teach. And to really take that to the next step and say, okay, what skills can I develop to say that not only I like to teach, but I am a good teacher. And then really help develop careers and develop pathways for that. And then just to many of the opportunities I've had, like I said, have been sort of serendipitous or just saying, 
sure, I'll do that. I'll help with that. And it's incredible how many opportunities I have had become available just because of I got involved or I dove in. So I would encourage people to do that. I said yes to being on an LCME review committee, I think in late residency or early fellowship. And it, it wasn't you know, too sure about what it would be like. I thought maybe it would be kind of tedious and just ended up making a lot of good connections and kind of finding my people within the education community. And it was something that on paper, you know, didn't sound like the most exciting, but after I, I dove into it, it was actually really fun and opened a lot of doors after that. So there's definitely power in saying yes. Definitely. I think being new faculty too, this is my second year saying yes has opened doors and also allowed me to network with people I wouldn't have otherwise had the opportunity to have conversations with and figure out the similarities and the projects that we might have been working in silos on and that we realized that we could actually um, collaborate on. So the value of saying yes more when you feel like you can <laughs> and then knowing when to yes. say no, because you also don't want to spread yourself too thin and not be able to dive into a project like you should be. If, if you know what you want, and where you want to be in one year, five years, it's easier to say yes to the things that you know you can and will help you. Mm -hmm. um, but some of the best decisions I've ever made were just be saying yes. For instance, the child abuse opportunity. I said, I, I'm fine. I want to help out and be a good citizen. I'll do it for six months and it turned into almost 20 years and mm -hmm. opened up a ton of opportunities in education through that. Um, and so if you're not sure what you want to do, or if you don't have a defined path, saying yes will give you opportunities that may open up all kinds of things. Um, they don't always, you know, and it's not bad to say yes to something and then some, and then I'll say politely bow out, but to fulfill your term in that, um, one of the first committees I ever was on was medical records committee. And it was, it, it didn't play to my strengths at all, uh, getting things done in a timely manner. And, uh, and, but it was, it was fine. And uh, you can find that out by saying yes. And other yeses may turn into, you know, open doors and a lot of other things. But if you're not sure what you want to do, sure, just dive in and try it out. Um, and in medical education, there are a lot of yeses and opportunities to say yes. These, oh, I like that, or uh, and then get the opportunities to make connections. And that, I, any success I've had in my career is mainly through those connections. Um, and then now I'm at the point where I get to try to help make those connections, uh, and it's, that's a blast too. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. I close every episode by asking for a teaching pearl or piece of advice. And I think you just went through several really yeah. wonderful ones. But if you have any other kind of pearls of wisdom that you've learned along the way or some piece of advice you'd like to leave us with, that would be great. Just the serendipity provides opportunity and then uh, opportunities lead to collaboration, which leads to career advancement. And I know that's not profound, uh, uh, but it really has been a hallmark of what career that I've been able to have is just try things out. We have a 
slide in our slideshow that it shows a branching point and it was always goes back to the Robert Frost poetry, take the road less travel. I mean, find out what's there and if it, it may turn into something that is just awesome and not be afraid to evolve. Well, thank you, Dr. Herman, for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, guys. And thank you, Dr. Sowers, for being a wonderful co-host. Awesome. Thanks for having me as well. Please send any comments or suggestions to teachinginmedicinepodcast at gmail.com. Please like us on Facebook and Instagram and follow us on Twitter at teachinginmed.